Well, let's continue our study in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 18 of the assurance of grace and salvation. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your truth. We thank you for the things that are real that are described in these words. We thank you for the Westminster divines that wrote this down. Help us, Father, to understand and to benefit from this teaching on the assurance of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by the way, last chapter, chapter 17, was on the perseverance of the saints. And it's very interesting how the divines do it. On the one hand, it's our role in it, particularly. That's the perseverance of the saints. And our confidence, this chapter is particularly on uh, the reasons we have in God for our assurance of salvation. Now, the first paragraph simply says that we may have assurance. Assurance of salvation is a good thing, and, and it, we, can ha- we can be not only saved, we can know we are saved. And here's how they write it. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience, before him may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. There's a great statement that we may have assurance. Uh, oops, okay, this, this button. Now, first they notes the false assurance of hypocrites. You know, there, there, there's kind of a problem that people don't have assurance who should. There's a lot bigger problem that people think they're going to heaven when they don't have a biblical basis for believing that. And that's usually going to be professing Christians. And they point out the hypocrites. Now, you remember, a hypocrite is someone who's wearing a false face. So this is professing Christian people who are not living in any way a life under the Lord. Uh, and often they do not actually have biblical doctrines. There's all kinds of people when we do our evangelism. What do people usually say? We ask the EE question, if you were to die and stand before God tonight, why would you enter into his heaven? And they say, I'm a pretty good person. Now that's really the unregenerate people with a worldly idea of salvation. And people believe they're going to heaven when they are not. That's the bigger problem. Uh, Is a uh, assurance among false believers uh, who have no basis for their salvation. But that, that is a big problem. At the same time, the Bible does teach that we can have assurance. Let me do some biblical treatments, by the way, on false hope of salvation. I think of Micah 3.11. That's a really interesting example. Um, Israel's heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach falsely for money. Their prophets practice divination, sorcery for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. And so all through the Old Testament, we've certainly had that in Jeremiah. You have the people in the religious establishment who just assume they're going to heaven while they're committing absolute abominations. Usually this involves people who are associated with a religious organization. Uh, Maybe their family's been part of a church for many generations. And so the Bible treats very candidly the vanity of these people who just assume that God is with them when uh, they are living such godless lives. Then you think of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, if you remember that broader passage, he says, some prophesy in my name, some cast out demons in my name. What's he saying? 
Well, that was a certain time in, 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 in redemptive history when there was that, that kind of power was common. But these are people who are actually serving the Lord. But Jesus says, apart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you antinomians, I never knew you. Now there, again, uh, and this is so commonly going to be the biblical angle, the problem is that they are leading ungodly lives. When he calls them workers of lawlessness, these are positive people who are positively pursuing evil. But, you know, they may be giving money to charities. They They may work in a soup kitchen. They may go to church. But unless they know the Lord and the Lord knows them, unless that's reflected in their life, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you antinomian. Uh, or, or, or in the parable of the, of the seeds in Matthew 13, you remember he tells us a seed fell on four different kinds of soil. Only the fourth soil was the good soil. But one of the kinds of soil is very interesting. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. That's always a fascinating uh, part of that parable to me because these are people who respond, who, who profess faith. If there's an altar call, they would have walked the altar call. And they become very fervent evangelical Christians, but there's no, there's no depth. There's no soil. And he talks about the sun scorching them. Well, that's persecution. And so as long as it was working well, they were evangelical Christians. But as soon as they had to pay a price for it, they moved on to something else. That's kind of a chilling thing. Now, what are we seeing here? Well, we're going to see the importance of an actual changed life that's bearing fruit in the matter of having assurance of salvation. And Jesus emphasizes there how we respond to suffering within for Christ is very important. One thing it tells us, we should not be so quick, by the way. One of the many reasons we do not do the altar call type of thing. Uh, I was 16 years old when I went down the altar at my high school, my public high school in Kentucky, had a revival. I went because a pretty girl was going to be there. The Lord has used that. And I remember walking down the altar and I wasn't saved. And uh, But they immediately declared me a Christian. We should not be so quick to declare people Christians when, when, when we don't know if that, that soil is shallow or not. Uh, my actual conversion took place 14 years later. Uh, I sometimes forget about that, but it's an interesting experience in my life. Well, Jesus says, uh, if there's no depth to it, the roots have to take hold. One of the first things we want when someone makes profession of faith in Jesus is for, their, for them to grow in their faith. They should be under the ministry of sound teaching and the word. They should be praying. They should be in a, in a godly church. I was in a very liberal church, um, and I had no depth. So there is false assurance. But godly believers, can you read that? Yeah. Uh, may and should have assurance. Now, God intends his people to have the assurance of salvation. We can say that straight up. Because 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Assurance is knowing that you have eternal life. Now it's interesting, you know, John's gospel is evangelistic. He said there, I wrote this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name by believing in his gospel. So that was, it was for unbelievers to believe. But first John's written to those who do believe with the aim that they would know that they had salvation. 
And so God wants us to have the assurance of salvation, and we can. Now, going back to the confession, what kind of person can have assurance of salvation? Well, the divines rightly wrote, such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity. There are doctrinal content that we have to believe. I think back to John again. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. To be saved, to have salvation, much less the assurance of salvation, we must believe that Jesus is the unique Son of God and that he is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Savior who died on the cross and rose from the grave for our salvation and then who love him in sincerity and then who endeavor to walk in all good conscience before him. And one thing we're going to see that the biblical and the confessional approach to assurance of salvation relies largely upon the testimony of a changed life. If, if you, even if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he's the Savior who died on the cross for your sin, if, there, if the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is not seen in your life, you do not have biblical grounds for assurance. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You will recognize them by their fruits. And so assurance of salvation is, is our belief. But here's the question. How do I know that I truly believe? Well, the testimony of our, we are justified through faith alone, but our faith is justified. It is accredited by the evidence of a changed life. Now, this is a really interesting thing in our society, in our, even in the PCA reformed culture today, in evangelicalism, because many people, even in our denomination, in the broader reformed world, don't want to tell people that they need to obey the Bible. And they're going to downplay the role of personal godliness in assurance because they fear that's legalism that will, dis- that will discourage people. And therefore, they don't preach sanctification. They don't... Excuse, excuse me. Let's see how many will be. Usually it's five. Okay, I got away with two. Um, and, and when you say, why aren't you, why aren't you willing to teach obedience? Why aren't you willing to teach sanctification? They will say, we want people to have assurance. Well, the problem is, biblically and confessionally, unless you are bearing the fruit of obedience, you're not likely to have assurance. One of the biggest attestations of that our faith is genuine is that our lives are changing, and if we're not encouraging people that as Christians we're to be leading changed lives, we are vainly seeking for them to have the assurance of salvation. Well, first, uh, Chad Van Dixhorn therefore writes, there exists a clear association in Scripture between faith and obedience on the one hand and the certainty of God's grace towards us in Christ on the other. That is true. Now, if you remember 1 John, we studied 1 John maybe two years ago. John gives three tests of faith. And when you look at the footnotes of the, of the confession, uh, in this paragraph, almost all the footnotes are from 1 John. And John says there's three ways to tell that you, I write this that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to have assurance. Well, what gives assurance? Well, first, the doctrinal test. And he writes, this is one of many statements he makes, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 
Now, there's a particular heresy context he's speaking of, but we can apply that broadly. If you believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect life under the law, who made an atoning death as God's Son, he made the sacrifice for our sins, he rose from the grave, and he's coming soon, that is very suspicious data about you. Most people do not believe this. And if you believe those things, that is, your belief in the biblical testimony of Christ as the Son of God uh, speaks very strongly in the direction of you having the assurance of salvation. I often have to say that to people. They say, well, I don't, it doesn't really matter. I, I feel like I don't have assurance from my belief. Well, not only from your belief, but that's a really good thing. And you know, our evangelistic teams can tell you in Falls Park that everybody's not just saying, Emma, is that right? Everybody's just walking around saying, oh, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior. But no, they're not saying that. They don't believe that. Uh, but there's also an ethical text test. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Elsewhere, John says, that unless we, if we continue in sin. Now, you've got to be careful here because you say, well, I don't always keep his commandments. Well, he's not saying, he's not calling for Christian perfection. In chapter 1, he said, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. There's an understatement. Uh, He's writing to sinners who have an imperfect record, but there are people whose lives are increasingly characterized by a desire to obey God and his law. Well, that's evidence that that person is saved. Again, we live in a culture where people are not showing a great deal of anxiety about violating the commandments of God. And, and now let me say, if you say, I believe the doctrine, but I don't care if I break the law, that's not good. That is inconsistent with the biblical picture of salvation. So we're, there's a moral test. We're to, be, we're to be being sanctified. We're to be turning from sin. Uh, then there's a social test. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And so love for fellow Christians is a, is a, is a sign of assurance so that we believe the, the doctrine, we affirm the truth, that there's a change in our lives happening ethically, and then there's an affection, and I'm sure you've experienced this. You're driving in New York City in an in a Uber, and you realize that the guy from some other country who's driving you around is listening to a Christian radio statement, station. And you immediately feel an affection for him. And there's an immediate bond. Uh, that, that often happens. Every time that happens to me, I'm like, oh, good, I'm saved. <laughs> Uh, it's a biblical attestation. If, you're, if you hear of persecution of the church in China and you're burdened for them, not in a, in, a, in a uniquely Christian way, well, that is because you love the brethren and that is because the Holy Spirit is within you. And so these are, these are biblical tests. So what this means is if you believe the gospel, if you, I, 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 I was converted at age 30, I was there, I I know who I was beforehand. I've been there the last 30 years. I got a lot to work on, but my life has changed decidedly and is still being changed. And I have gained a love for, for the brethren. What the Bible says to me is, Rick, you should have assurance of salvation, therefore, which I think I do. Uh, these are biblical tests. Uh, let me say this. I might as well say it now. I have learned as a pastor that there are certain people, maybe it's a personality, maybe it's a, their, their, their past, who are going to struggle with assurance. And there is almost nothing you can say to them to keep them from struggling with assurance. Uh, uh, maybe it's a disposition. But I often will get this argument, I, I can't have assurance of salvation because I am burdened by my indwelling sin. 
Well, nowhere does the Bible say that, can, that because you have indwelling sin, you cannot have assurance of salvation. And I like to reason with them by saying, I've been a minister for over 25 years now. Not once, not once has a person who's not a Christian come to me and said, I, I am engaged in, I am burdened over my indwelling sin. The only people who ever feel, who ever come, they're either about to be converted or they have been converted. I have had a lot of people come and go, I'm really down on myself. I feel like I can't be saved because, you know, my heart's so wicked. Okay, I have yet to have an unbeliever come up to me and go, can I talk to you, Pastor? I'm I'm gripped by my wickedness, though I do not believe in Jesus Christ. When you look at Romans 7, when Paul describes himself, and I'm absolutely sure that is not pre-conversion Paul. That is because, again, because a non-converted person does not loathe his sin as Paul does there. And Paul is struggling. He, he says, you know, wicked, wretched man that I am. The good that I want to do, I don't do. Boy, you see yourself there. The, the, the thing that I hate, I do. There's a, there's a law of sin in my members. But there's also another law in my members. And he talks about the struggle. Biblically, that is a Christian phenomenon. I want to say to you, if you're struggling with assurance because there's a struggle within you, Biblically, that struggle is uniquely Christian. The fact that I, I would say there's no problem as a Christian that you're struggling with sin. The problem is for those who are not struggling with sin. They're at peace with sin, at war with God. The Christian is at peace with God in the, in the war with sin. The fact that you are struggling with that war bears testimony to your salvation. Well, here's a second paragraph. The certain, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable, probable, I have some typos here, probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the inward evidence of those graces upon which those promises are made, the testimony of the spirit of adoption witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inheritance whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. And so what they're saying is, it's not just that you can go, well, there's a pretty good chance I'm a Christian. No, you, not just conjecture and persuasion, but an infallible of assurance of, 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 of salvation is grounded, first of all, in the promises of salvation in God's word. True assurance is based on the certainty of God's promises. I could have listed many promises, but consider these. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And I know that I believe in the Son. And, and I know that it's not, it's not a dead faith. It's a living faith. And so God promises me in his word that I therefore have eternal life. And, and so the, the doubt gets squelched by faith because God has promised it to me. I can rely upon it. Often am I willing to, to really embrace it that way. I can because God has promised it. John ten twenty seven to 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Okay, are you following him? Yes, I am. Oh, I'm such a bad sheep. No, are you following him? He says, I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a promise that cannot fail. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, believers, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say to you, if you're struggling with assurance 
exercise, believe the promises of God. Trust the promises are true and, and, and embrace assurance based upon the promises of God. Now, Hebrews 6 uses the way the covenants work. I'll just read this verse. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his, of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, assurance of salvation, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Now, he's talking about the, the covenant that God made with Abraham, in which he not only made the promise, he then entered into a blood-bound oath. You remember, he, they cut the animals into halves. And the way the, the Old covenant, uh, Old Testament covenants work was uh, you would walk between the severed animals, making your oath. And, if, if you, and you're saying, if I break this oath, let what happened to them happen to me. It would have made a wedding dress. You wouldn't want a long train on that wedding dress. I, I, don't, I don't think they did that for weddings, but it would have been kind of fun if they had. Um, but that's the way these... And, and, and you remember how God alone, with a smoking fire pot, went through the pieces. What God's saying was, I'm, viv- I'm, I'm legally binding myself, not because I need to be legally bound, because, you know, that way I won't fail. No, no, no. It's so that you will see it. And you will know that if I break this covenant, I must kill myself. God has placed these promises of salvation in that kind of legal binding. He, for him to break his promise to you who've trusted in Jesus would result in the ungodding of God. And that is to be a source of assurance. I can bank on the promises. They are oath-bound. They are blood-covenanted. They are a sure and steadfast anchor for my soul. Now again, moreover, our faith is confirmed by the inward evidences of God's grace. In 2 Peter 1 and one ten, he says that we are to endeavor to make our calling and election sure, assurance. And so he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's lots of reasons why you and I should be growing in grace, in inward grace. As a Christian, I should be pursuing the fruit of the Spirit. I like to say, every one of us should have a grace project in our own life. I, 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 I will bless the Lord and others if I become more patient, if I become more dutiful. If you don't know, ask your spouse. They do know. But uh, every one of them, I, I need to be ex, or I need to be kinder, I need to be bolder, whatever. But what happens is, as these inward graces, these qualities of the Spirit are taking place in our life, their presence is bearing testimony that we are saved. Because you may not know this, people are not becoming more gracious outside of Christ. Their lives are not changing. They are not growing spiritually. So when you're growing spiritually, and and there's effort involved, and he goes, put this effort, it'll pay out. Boy, the benefits it will pay off. If you'll do this, one of them is assurance. Then he speaks of the inward testimony of the spirit of adoption. Look at the, the, the assembly does. Uh, and this is Romans eight fifteen to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of Christ and fellow heirs with Christ. Romans eight fifteen to 17. Paul is saying there is an immediate supernatural attestation, a testimony given by the Spirit to us that we are the children of God. And so as Christians, we should be expecting that. That there, I have an awareness that I am the child of God. I find that what happens is that people who struggle with assurance are afraid, and so they don't want to listen to it. They don't, they don't open themselves to that. But look, we are, as F. F. Bruce put it one time, we, are, we, we, have a, we do not have a mystical religion. We have a logical religion, but we are mystics. We are dealing with supernatural powers that go beyond our ability to explain them. And one of them is the testimony of the Holy Spirit to our spirits that tells us that we are the children of God. Uh, Moreover, it is the earnest of our salvation. It is the down payment. If you possess the Holy Spirit, you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are... You are given the Holy Spirit, and you, be, you have this new spiritual awareness. You have belief in the Bible. I, I remember trying to read the Bible before I was born again. It was like a brick wall to me. And then I could read the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit. There's the inward change. There's a, a new attitude towards sin and to other people. Well, that is proof that you're going to heaven. Because the Lord does not give the Holy Spirit to anyone but those whom he is saving to the end. Uh, A.A. Hodge says, The Holy Spirit is the first installment of the benefits of Christ's redemption. Therefore, the pledge and earnest of the completion of that redemption in due time. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life bears testimony of your salvation. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, I want to say to you, if you have made profession of faith in Jesus and have not received the Holy Spirit, then you are not saved. I agree with that. But if you, but if, but if you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's power in your life for godliness and for love and, and for to be a more godly person. Well, then take that as the biblical teaching that that's the Holy Spirit and rejoice in the assurance of salvation. I, I said earlier, the bigger problem is people who shouldn't have assurance wrongly having it. But it is a real problem that those who do believe and who have received the Holy Spirit we are to joyfully accept God's word that we are heaven-bound. Third, assurance can be difficult. This infallible assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation, in the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. And therefore it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God, in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience, the proper fruits of this assurance, so far is it from inclining men to looseness. I just want to say amen. That was a really well done one. Because the truth is, people do struggle with assurance. 
And here's the question. It was a question that was set before them. Is assurance of the essence of faith? If you believe, must you therefore have assurance so that if you don't have assurance, you do not believe? And they rightly answered, no, it is not of the essence of saving faith. You may believe and lack assurance. And let me say, you should have assurance if you believe. It is the logical you know, uh, deduction of our faith. But it's not true that because someone lacks assurance that they therefore do not believe. In fact, the, the, the verse they cite is 1 John 5.13. The reason John writes that um, uh, I write this that you may know that you have eternal life is because people were struggling with knowing that. And so that's testimony to it. Uh, a true believer may lack the assurance of salvation, but we should earnestly desire and seek it. How do we do that? Well, it, by making our, by, by pursuing sanctification. I will say to you, if you're really struggling with assurance of salvation, now I, I probably need to talk to you and hear how it's going. But as a generalization, as you grow in grace and you pursue sanctification, there's a direct relationship between those things and the assurance of salvation. So don't be slothful. If you say, oh, I really want assurance of salvation, but I don't have time to go to church. I'm going, you don't really care that much. And these things are highly correlated. Uh, if, if, you know, if you're not, if you're not regular under the means of grace, isn't it amazing what a benefit there is to going to church every week? And even more when you go morning and evening. And, and, and not to mention your daily, because it, it awakens us to the things of God. And when we absent our, when we don't read our Bibles, when we're not gathering together with the believers, when we're not in the worship services, the things of God become dim. And with that goes the assurance of salvation and the benefits of them. And so we should be earnestly desiring the benefits of, of assurance. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 says, we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end that you may not be sluggish. Now, the way that you pursue assurance is with the ordinary means of grace, the word prayer sacraments. And, and there's a spiritual byproduct of that in our lives. One of them is assurance. Now, there are great benefits of the assurance of salvation and they list them. Our heart enlarged in peace and in joy. Now that's right. It is important for us to live in peace and as joy. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to complain about uh, dour Christians. And he's right. If, people, if we're grumpy, if we're unhappy, if there's no joy in our lives, we're not really bearing testimony as that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Um, uh, orneriness, as I once told a, a woman at our church who asked me, is not a fruit of the Spirit. It does not lead to assurance of salvation. It does not edify others. We have been, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a very close friend who was raised in a revivalistic Armenian church. And when she came to the Reformed faith, she would say to me, um, I feel like my religion has become dry and just intellectual. And I remember saying to her, I don't see that in you. And we actually went back to her parents' church for a revival, which was the whole machinery, the whole, you know, the whole altar call, the whole thing. And she remember her sitting in the balcony watching, and she, she has this epiphany. She goes, oh, I thought I'd lost the passion of my salvation when I'm experiencing peace. That's very insightful to me. Uh, the fact that you're having inward turmoil is not necessarily a sign of the Holy Spirit. 
our faith should produce, we have peace with God, we should have a blessing of his peace. That is a sign of the Holy Spirit. There should be joy and there should be love and thankfulness to God. Psalm 16, I have set the Lord before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Assurance gives us strength and cheerfulness in our obedience. Psalm 119, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Assurance is that which in so many ways will transform our lives. And we're not doing it trying to persuade ourselves that we're Christians. How many people go to the missions field in order to get assurance? And it's a legalistic thing, and they're trying to get enough brownie points, and they're trying to justify themselves through works, and it becomes a total disaster in their own lives and in the missions field. No, no, no. If we're going to do missions, if we're going to do good works, let it be done as a, as a, as a way of saying thank you to the Lord. Let it be gratitude flowing out of our assurance of salvation, our sense of his love and what he's done for us so that we want to love him in return. That, that graciously changes the Christian life and makes it a blessing and not this legalistically dour thing. And then they say at the end, it does not lead to looseness. Now, there's an argument that if you have assurance of salvation, well, then you'll live any way you want. Okay, the only person who reasons that way is the person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's the spirit of, you know, holiness. And the person, this is Paul in Romans 6.1. God forbid that I would, because of grace, that I would want to live in sin. It is exactly the opposite. Assurance of salvation is extremely valuable, extremely beneficial and fruitful. It will, in so many cases, in many cases, people have spent so much spiritual energy arguing against the promises of God because they, they fear to believe them. And that when they have assurance, that energy is constructively put to use in good deeds and evangelism. Well, the last paragraph True believers may have the assurance of their salvation. This is also super wise. A true believer may have the assurance of their salvation, diverse ways shaken, diminished, intermitted, as by negligence and preserving of it. Mel sees my voice locking up. But it's fun seeing if I'll make it, Mel. By falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieve, thank you, and grieveth the spirit by some sudden or vehement temptation. You see, assurance does for our lives what that water did for my voice. Sorry, didn't really work. Uh, God withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light, yet they are not ever utterly destitute of that seed of God and light of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which by the operation of the Spirit this assurance may in due time be revived and by the which in meantime they are supported by utter despair. Well, that's right. We, even a strong believer who has long had assurance may at fine times when we don't have a sense of assurance. And so we, we had assurance. Now I don't feel like I have it. Why does that happen? Well, often it's sin. Sin will attack the conscience. And sin is going to work against assurance. David in Psalm 32 for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That is not a man with the assurance of salvation. And sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So oftentimes, 
the reason that you have lack of assurance is because there is a sin you are coveting and protecting. But there's also sloth I mentioned earlier. Uh, again, it's like when you're coaching football, when the football team starts playing poorly, you go back and you go back to the X's and O's. Let's work on blocking and tackling. As a former football coach, it is often beneficial. Let's go back to the basics of the game. Well, sometimes as Christians, let me go, I'm feeling distant from the Lord. Let me commit myself to the basic of the Christian life. Let me read my Bible today. Let me pray. Let me go to church. Let me, let me, you know, evangelize. And often you will find when your sloth is gone that your assurance has come back. But there are other times when the Lord, for his own purposes, may withdraw that light of assurance. And he will do it. Sometimes he's doing it because he's preparing you for some great work. I mean, you know, honestly, who knows why he's doing it? But he has good redemptive reasons. And it may be true that a Christian, maybe it'll happen to me, maybe it'll happen to you. We may go through seasons where our, our sense of assurance dampens. That does not mean that we are not saved. It does not mean that we've lost our salvation. Psalm 77, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? That's a believer saying that. But a true believer will never fall utterly into despair. What what do we do if our assurance has gone? We need to persevere in the faith. Go back to the previous chapter. We're to keep going as Christians. We're We're to go back to the basics. We're to be around Christian fellowship. We're to ask people to pray for us. Nothing wrong with saying, I'm feeling a loss of assurance. Would you pray for that? Yes, pray for that. Um... And and if the Lord, for his purposes, withdraws that light, as the divines put it, in due season, he will come and cause it to come back. Well, I hope you benefited from what is very solid teaching from the divines on the assurance of salvation. Uh, a not small amount of my pastoral ministry involves people who are struggling with assurance. So if you'd like to talk about it, I would be happy to talk to you about it. But I ask you to be, be willing to believe Don't let it be because you are not willing to cast your fears, believing the promises of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus, it says, and you will be saved. Father, I thank you for your gospel. I thank you for these dear folks and those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that none of us would have a false basis of assurance that leading a godless life and believing the lies of the world, that we would not think that we have assurance of heaven. But Father, I do pray for your people that you would give the grace of assurance and you would give it the ordinary way through through lives of godliness, through biblical faith, through a life that's zealous in the means of grace. Cause us to desire assurance. Cause us to fear that we would sin in a way that would damage our assurance of salvation. And Lord, make it fruitful in our lives of, of a joyful, cheerful, zealous Christian life to the praise of your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.